Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. Life, faith, together. The Bible readings from Luke chapter 10 and verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levi, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. This is the first mistake we normally make when reading the parable of the Good Samaritan, is that we start here in verse 30. As if Jesus just one day said, hey guys, Peter, John, James, gather around. I've got a good one. Have you heard the story about the guy who gets attacked on his way to Jericho? It's a good one. No, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus tells this parable in response to two questions an expert in the law has just asked him. So in order to, to really understand what this parable is all about, we first need to get into the sandals of this expert in the law. And so we start in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the expert in the law is not a lawyer, as we would understand a lawyer today. No, no he's most certainly a Pharisee. A Pharisee was, was a member of a very strict Jewish sect. And the reference to the law is a reference to the Old Testament. And this Pharisee, this expert in the law, wants to test Jesus about what you have to do to inherit eternal life. Now, for Pharisees, the answer was quite clear. In order to inherit eternal life, you had to fulfill the law. 
Uh, that's the law of Moses. The, the Ten Commandments and so on. You had to fulfill the law, and by fulfilling the law, you would then gain eternal life. But different rabbis had different interpretations about what you actually had to do to fulfill the law in order to gain eternal life. They all had their own kind of list, so to speak, of what you actually needed to do. And so this Pharisee, this expert in the law, is trying to draw Jesus into the debate about the specific things you actually need to do. Now Jesus, in in typical Jesus fashion, does not answer the question. Rather, he responds by asking the Pharisee a question in order to get the Pharisee to answer his own question. And so we, we, Jesus says in verse 26, what is written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, what is your interpretation? What's on your list? Or what, what do you say are the particular things you need to do? Now, this Pharisee, this expert in the law, rather than jumping in to the particular things that are on his list, he starts off with a general principle that everyone agrees with. And in verse 27, he, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, and he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And then he quotes from Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus responds in verse 28, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now the problem with this for the the Pharisee is that there is no limit to loving God. There is no limit to loving neighbor. And so it doesn't help him with his list. It doesn't help him to decide what should be on his list and what shouldn't. And so we read in verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, he's getting back to his list. Who exactly is my neighbor? Who isn't? Who should be on my list and who shouldn't? We kind of do the same thing every Christmas when it comes to sending Christmas cards. We we take out our address book and we go through the book and we ask ourselves the question, well, who's too close not to be left off and who isn't? In, In other words, where do we draw the line? He wants to know where does he draw the line? Generally speaking, for most Jews, they drew the line by saying they were, their neighbor was other Jews. But he wants to justify himself. See, effectively what he's asking is how little can I do and still fulfill the law? And see, he's asking this question, hoping Jesus is going to say, well, your neighbor is your your relatives and your friends. In which case, this expert would say, I have fully loved them. And then Jesus would, would, would praise him and say, you have truly fulfilled the law. 
And then he could depart, basking before all the people in the praise of his good works. But once again, Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, doesn't answer the question. But rather he responds by asking another question, but this time in the form of a parable. And once again, to get this expert, this Pharisee, to answer his own question. So then we read in verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, so this is in reply to the question, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Now at this point, I can just imagine what the, the, the Pharisee must have been thinking. Like, what's this got to do with my question? Where is Jesus going with us? But then he gets to verse 31, and Jesus says, a priest happened to be going down the same road. Now, just as an expert in the law is most certainly a Pharisee, a priest is most certainly a Sadducee. He is part of a different religious group, a Jewish group, a different religious, Jewish religious group. And although Pharisees and Sadducees were both Jews, and they would both work together in institutions like the High Council and the Sanhedrin, they did not see eye to eye. It's kind of like political parties today. Sure, they all look the same, and they sit in that same big building, and they act very similar, in a similar way, but they do not see eye to eye on many things. At this point... The Pharisee will be thinking to himself, I know where Jesus is going with this. You see, this is a bright guy. He is an expert in the law, the master of finding loopholes. So he's thinking, I know where Jesus is going with this. He's going to say, here is a priest, a Sadducee, and if he can help the stranger in the need, how much more should you, a Pharisee, help strangers in need? That's who your neighbor is, strangers in need. But Jesus says, And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And the Pharisee thinks to himself, how typical. How typical of those Sadducees. All they ever worried about is not getting defiled so they can go to the temple and make sacrifices. You see, for for a Sadducee, religion was all about the temple and sacrifices. And the rules set up in the first five books of Moses. But for a Pharisee, true religion was about the whole Old Testament and making it relevant for their day. And so he'll be thinking, how typical of this this Sadducee, just worried about not getting defiled so he can make his sacrifices. But then Jesus goes on in verse 32. So too... A Levite. Now, a Levite was also a Sadducee. He he isn't as important as a priest, but he still has some very important roles within the temple. And so if you liken the priest to the minister, the pastor, he's kind of like the deacon, the trustee. He's like a little Sadducee. And at this point... The, the, the Pharisee is he's thinking to himself, I know where Jesus is going with this. He's going to say, 
if, if, if the little Sadducee can help, help people, even though the big Sadducee doesn't, we need to be like the little Sadducee and help people in need. But Jesus goes on. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. And the Pharisee thinks to himself, I knew it. All these Sadducees, all exactly the same. The big Sadducee, the little Sadducee, they're all the same. At this point, the, the, the expert in the law, the Pharisee, is thinking to himself that the next person, he would be convinced that the next person to come in the story is obviously going to be someone from his own political party. It, it's going to be a Pharisee. And Jesus is going to say, well, look, you know, the Sadducees, they won't help people in needs, but the Pharisees, they help people in need. That's who your neighbor is, people in need. But the next person who comes along isn't a Pharisee, someone from his own political party. It isn't someone from the rival political party. It isn't even an independent candidate. In fact, it's not even a local citizen of their country. Rather, we discover in verse 33, it's a despised Samaritan. Now, we need to remember that in those days, they didn't have telephones, okay? Like, no telephones. So, the, the Samaritans are not the people the Jews phone when they're going through a hard time in life to talk with someone, okay? The Samaritans were... were descendants of the northern tribe of Israel who had intermarried with foreigners, intermarried with people the Jews considered the enemy. So for a Jew, they considered a Samaritan a half-breed. But more than that, they considered them worse than foreigners. They considered them worse than the enemy. They considered them to be Traitors. They absolutely despised the Samaritans. For Jesus to make the hero of the story a Samaritan wasn't surprising. It's offensive. It's highly offensive. But there's a bigger problem for this poor expert in the law, this Pharisee. Who is he meant to identify with in the story? He can't identify with the, the priest or the Levi because he's not a Sadducee. He can't identify with the Samaritan because he's definitely not a Samaritan. So who can he identify with? There's only one person left in the story which he's able to identify with, and that's the victim. The guy who gets beaten up by the robbers. And the question that Jesus asks at the end of the parable, he doesn't ask the question from the perspective of the priest or the Levi or the Samaritan. He doesn't ask who does the priest or the Levi or the Samaritan regard as their neighbor. No, he asks the question from the perspective of the man who was, in, who was beaten up, the victim. And we read in verse 36, Jesus says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? 
He's asking the question from the perspective of the victim. And the answer to this question is the same answer to the question that the expert in the law asked at the beginning. Who is my neighbor? This is the answer. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? You see, when you try to work out who your neighbor is, you need to take on the character of a victim. And then from the perspective of the victim, when you ask yourself the question from the perspective of the victim, who is my neighbor? The answer is obvious. Anyone, anyone who's prepared to help me would be my neighbor, even a Samaritan. It doesn't matter what race they are. It doesn't matter what nationality they are. It doesn't matter what ethnic background they have. It doesn't matter what religion they belong to. It doesn't matter what background they come from. It doesn't, their, their sexual orientation doesn't matter. Nothing matters. For from the perspective of a victim, there simply is no limit to who your neighbor is. The problem is not the length of our list. Who's my neighbor? Who isn't? The problem is having a list mentality in the first place. For from the perspective of the victim, there simply is no limit to who our neighbor is. Don't you just love the way Jesus handles this expert in the law? He comes up to him, comes up to Jesus, and he asks, well, who is my neighbor? Hoping to limit his list. And Jesus responds by telling this innocent-sounding story with all its twists and omissions. And then at the end, he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The poor expert with his head still spinning can only gasp because there's only one answer to that question and it's the one he gives. We read in verse 37, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Take note, he can't even get himself to say the word Samaritan. That's how much he despises the Samaritan. The one who had mercy on him. In that case, Jesus could have said, I think you have answered your question for yourself. Any more questions? Isn't that beautiful? But also take note that loving your neighbor as yourself without limiting who your neighbor is, is costly. It costs the Samaritan time and money. But it's also risky. Can you imagine what the Jews in Jericho must have thought when this despised Samaritan came into their town with a beaten up Jew on the back of his donkey. You heard of the custom blood revenge? 
It was rife in the first century. Loving your neighbor as yourself without limiting who your neighbor is is risky. Tony Campolo, uh, a, a professor in sociology in the United States of America, shares a story about when he was still at school. So this is many, many years ago. And, and this is what he says. He said, when I was still at school, there was a guy there called Roger. He was gay and we knew it. We spread the word on him and we made his life miserable. Every time we would walk past him in the hallway, we would call out his name in an infeminate manner. And we made him the brunt of a lot of cheap jokes. On Fridays after physical education class, Roger would never go into the shower with us because he was too afraid and for good reason. When we would come out of the shower, we would take our wet towels and whip them at his little naked body. Tony then shares how he wasn't there on the day that five boys grabbed Roger, dragged him into the shower, shoved him into the corner, and curled up in the fetal position. Five guys urinated all over him. That night, Roger went to bed at about 10 o'clock. They say it was about two in the morning that he got up, went down to the basement of his house, and hung himself. Tony then shares that when he found out what had happened, he suddenly realized that he was not a Christian. Oh, he believed all the right things, He was theologically sound. He knew what to believe, and he believed it intently. But he hadn't surrendered to the Holy Spirit. He hadn't allowed the Holy Spirit to invade him and transform him into the kind of person that Jesus wanted him to be. Because if if the Holy Spirit had done that, he would have stood up for Roger. He would have put his arm around Roger, and he would have said, Leave him alone. He's my friend. Don't mess with him. But he was too afraid to, too afraid to be Roger's friend because he knew if you were a friend with someone like Roger, people would start saying nasty things about you too. And so he kept his distance and he failed to be the loving person that Jesus had called him to be. Loving your neighbor as yourself without limiting who your neighbor is, is risky. Are you prepared to take the risk? Are you prepared to love your neighbor? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We confess that we have limited who our neighbor is. We have not loved our neighbor as we should. Please forgive us. Let's spend some time in in, in prayer in the quietness of our hearts and, and just identify who the Samaritan is 
in our life? Who is that despised Samaritan for you? It might be a particular person. It could be a group of people. It might even be a family member. There might be people with different political views to you. And particularly in a society today that seems to encourage everyone to see everyone else as an enemy. And then just confess that to God and ask God to help you to love them. Even if it's costly. Even if it's risky. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of, of true, true, pure love found in Jesus. True, sacrificial love. Costly love. Risky love. And Father, forgive us for, for limiting who our neighbor is. Forgive us for having a list mentality. Father, we pray that by your Spirit, you would give us boldness and courage to take the risk to love others, even those we really struggle to love. And Father, we pray that through that you would make us a channel of your peace, and that where there is hatred, let us bring love, and where there is injury, let us bring pardon. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.